Canadian Pacific was founded in 1881 and was formed to physically unite Canada and Canadians from coast to coast. Today, CP is a transcontinental railway in North America, providing rail services to key markets in every corner of the globe. Giving back to the communities they operate through is important for CP. Since 2014, their focus has been on cardiac health. Through their CP Has Heart program, CP has helped raise over $23.3 million for cardiac causes across North America. Physical activity is very important to heart health. CP is proud to sponsor Goals for Kids with the Calgary Flames, a program which benefits minor hockey, Calgary, and kids sport. For each home goal by the Flames, CP donates $500. Since 2007, CP has donated over $215,000 to kids sport. CP would like to remind everyone listening that February is Heart Month and encourage everyone to stay active, eat healthy, and have fun. Interested in volunteering at future Sport Calgary events? Visit sportcalgary.ca to get involved. Sport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your hosts, Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. All right. Welcome back to the Face First Podcast. My name is Grace and I have my co-host Alicia here with me today. And hey, everyone. <laughs> and we have a very exciting guest with us today. Um, so I was looking, trying to write your, your intro, Steve, and there's so much. Um, you know, we could probably spend about three hours talking about it, but born in Buffalo, New York, former athlete, University of Florida, go Gators. Go Gators. You've taught me well. Um, three-time Olympian, uh, 2010 Olympic gold medalist in the four-man bobsled. You are the co-founder, president, and CEO of Classroom Champions and a proud dad. <laughs> Correct? And a, and a what? Yeah, you're right on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're really excited because obviously we both have ties to classroom champions and full disclosure to our listeners. Um, I work for you. Um, and, and Alicia's one of our mentors. boss. She's also my boss too, in some capacity. <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. I like it. Now, why don't you really listen very well then, Alicia? Fine. I listen to you all the time. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, exactly. I take I I can follow directions for the it most is. part. Sometimes I'm just a little slow on my response, but yeah. we're here. But Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited yeah. to have you I'm on the show. I've been trying to get on this show for months, and <laughs> full disclosure, he has finally I got the invite, so I'm pretty excited about that. He started by suggesting other people to go on the show, but really he was just really hoping we'd come to the realization that we wanted him on the show. It was, you don't don't want to seem too desperate or eager. (laughs) We wanted to warm up to make sure we we had a few under our belt first. Yeah, make sure that we can hit you with all the hard questions, you know? Bring it on. Bring it on. I'm here to party. Okay. Yeah. Grace, you want to start us off? What you got for Steve? Where do you want to start? Well, I think we should start with just Steve giving us a little bit of a, you know, how, how you started Classroom Champions and what Classroom Champions is for our listeners. I think that's, we'll get rolling. That is a fair, that's a fair place to start and happy and it's honestly excited to be here. Like it's, I'm not kidding when I said I was excited to like poke Grace and Alicia, poke you both and say like, hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I have nothing to do. I'm sitting in my house, uh, stuck inside like the rest of us. Um, Classroom Champions is an an international education nonprofit that my sister and I started uh, actually right here in Calgary. Um, The idea was the idea was born and schools turned to Classroom Champions for 
and they're looking for social emotional learning curriculum and mentorship programs. So we support schools by helping them help their teachers put uh, goal setting, perseverance, leadership, uh, various things that are what are considered by teachers to be part of the hidden curriculum. And we and we leverage amazing people like the two of you uh, as athletes and so many other Olympians and Paralympians and NHL players and NFL players to teach kids the, the things that make you guys great. Um, not great at running for five seconds and sitting or laying down for a minute, uh, which is what I did as well. Um, but mm-hmm. great at the process and great at being able to get there. And, you know, don't all of our schools right now kind of need that, need that kind of lift. Uh, and don't all of our teachers really, really desperately need some really just more and more great people to get in front of their kids. Awesome. And I know for a fact, uh, this is a hard one for Grace and I, because think, one of your one of the people that actually know your story really well. But um, you, how did your, you and your sister come up with the idea? What were you doing at the time and that led to this? I, I was literally, I'm in Montgomery here in Calgary, and I was literally about three blocks away from the house that I'm in now with my family. Uh, inside, out front of the training residence, the old, the, basically the frat house that was the, the USA bobsleds training uh training place here in calgary and uh, you know we were on the phone and i was lamenting what so many of us athletes lament which is i was tired of going and doing school visits which i kind of felt like that made me a bad person but i was tired of it from a standpoint of i was tired of going in giving a talk to kids who didn't necessarily know who i was i mean i was not uh, i'm not Sidney crosby i'm not Haley wickenheiser um you know i'm not you know we weren't you know most of us aren't that yet um, I felt like I had so much more to offer than than just teaching kids about health and fitness, which I'm clearly an advocate of. And my sister at the time, Lee, was getting her PhD in education and had been a teacher, and I had been a teacher, and our parents had been teachers. So we just wanted to find a way, going into my last Olympic year in 2009 and 2010, to connect with kids in a way that, you know, I kind of figured that was going to be my last shot to make a difference for kids. I was going to retire, third Olympics, I was living this life that the 10-year-old kid in us would have just dreamt about uh, mm-hmm. and did dream about, would have, but literally did dream about. It was my life. And my sister and I were really excited about that. We wanted to find a way to share it. And yet at the same time, uh, I couldn't go in and do a repeat visits because I was traveling around the world. Um, I was tired of those one-off, go in, give a talk, leave, but, you know, the way that everybody out there has always interacted with people, whether they're athletes or business people or, or just successful people in life. Um, and we wanted to give kids an opportunity to follow the journey. Uh, I am a gray-haired, old-feeling, beat-up athlete now. And we wanted kids to find, to be able to not be told my journey 10 years later, like right now. We wanted kids to actually get to take the path. And we thought, how cool would that have been when we were 10 years old to get to actually live the story and the ups and downs and like Riz, what a great example that you've had some major ups and downs the last few years and you have shared that with your kids and they now get it. They get that the path from being 10 years old to the Olympic games is not a straight path. So yeah. that was, that was where the idea came from and really it was going to be, that was going to be it. That was going to be the end of it. Uh, and it was a good friend of mine after that had kind of poked us a little bit and said, Hey, you should do something more than this. And, and that's where Classroom Champions started. And when you guys started, did you start, so as an American, you ended up here in Calgary because of your wife, correct? Uh, because of Stu McMillan. 
because of student. My old okay. coach. My old coach. No, I didn't meet Rhiannon until 2010, until 2010, until after the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, okay, luckily, just after luckily, the game, but you're luckily year. for her, luckily for her, she didn't meet me until September or <laughs> August of 2010. <laughs> just when everything was like the big gold yeah. medalist, not a big deal. I'm sure mm -hmm. you were a lot of fun then, though. It was a blast. Ouch. <laughs> 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 and what? You said that, I'm, I'm sure you were a lot of fun then. I said, ouch. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I just chose to I chose to skip past that. To part. skip that part. Yeah, uh, I know, Steve. Um, but uh, so then you started. So do you and your sister start this in Calgary right away? Or was it immediately like international? It was immediately we had mainly U.S. schools because we, we literally just put something up on Facebook, I think, at the time and said, hey, like, we're going to I'm going to adopt, you know, a handful of schools or classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to do this, here's kind of what we think we're going to do. We had no idea. There was no method madness. There was no goal setting or leadership or, you know, curriculum. Uh, it was just really wanted to share the journey with kids. And I was sending, you know, sending kids videos from the track in Eagles, Austria, to the training center in Chula, to, you know, doing live video chats with them in Vancouver and Whistler. And, and they followed that path for three or four months. Um, mm -hmm. It was, we had eight schools across the U.S. and then Crescent Heights, we actually did high school um, here in Calgary. And because it's that small of a world, Akeem Haynes was actually in the first cohort of classroom champions. Uh, in wow. That, and for those of you who don't know Akeem, he went on to go to two Olympic Games. He won a bronze medal in the relay with Andre de Grasse in the 4x1 uh, in Rio in 2016, has been a mentor with classroom champions. So Akeem is actually the, the one person who did the full life cycle from from you know having me as a mentor all the way through becoming an athlete, uh, becoming an Olympian, going off, and um, I was coaching Crescent Heights at the time, so I knew him and I knew the coach there, and that's how I got connected with Crescent Heights. So he's actually lived that whole life cycle, Calgarian here. I just got goosebumps. I had no idea that. <laughs> that's pretty. Mm -hmm. He was like he had you as a mentor. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Come around, yeah. Olympic medalist. Yeah, and then became, cool. a then became a mentor for classroom champions, and now is and now is off, you know, like really crushing and starting, and now crushing doing his own motivational speaking, and, and his entire business is based around like really taking the values that he learned and mm -hmm. teaching them to people. Yeah. Which is awesome. So when did when did the curriculum come into play? Like when did you guys start implementing um, <laughs> something that was measurable that that kids could follow along and. It, it, it the, I, I laugh because the curriculum um, was at the time not something we referred to as a curriculum, but it mm -hmm. was literally August of 2000, September of 2011 was the first actual year of Classroom Champions. It wasn't back in my day, it was called back, the Back to School Project. Like our entire goal was to bring the Olympic ideals back into schools. So that was mm -hmm. what, that's what we called it that year. Um, there's these great press clippings of the Back to School Project back then. And uh, it was, we had seven athletes lined up from Sue Bird, who is like one of the best women's basketball players in the world. Ever, to, yeah. Ever. <laughs> Legend. Um, to David Oliver, who is a track, you know, Olympic track hurdling, hurdle medalist. To uh, Gideon Massey, to um, just like an incredible group, Jerome Singleton, I can name them all. Um, and it was literally August going into the September school year of 2011 that Lee and I, my sister and I were talking and we thought, what are the athletes going to talk about all year? We better <laughs> give them something to talk about. Wrong, because wrong. When, when I was an athlete, it was just sharing the journey. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't going to be like a regular cadence. 
for me, it was just kind of like whenever I sent a video. So it literally, we pulled together the, the first curriculum in August of 2011 based upon what Lee and I thought. And we called a couple of athletes and said, what do you think you want to talk about? Called a couple of teachers and said, what do you think you want to hear about? Um, and it's evolved. There was a time where every four or five years, every year for four or five, six years, we would meet with the teachers in April uh, and hear what they thought and then add subjects or take subjects away. So that's how we started that. And, and today's curriculum is much more, much more rigid schools, you know, leverage this in entire school districts, uh, tens of thousands of kids in, in different districts and hundreds of thousands of kids across North America. Schools actually use this as a, a framework for their social emotional learning, their SEL. So it is a, it's much more rigorous process now. Uh, there's a lot more research behind it. Um, and in that first year is uh, to your question of, how are we thinking about it? How we're measuring it? Like we actually only looked at students and and Lee, her PhD, part of it was in teacher performance. And she hadn't actually noticed or thought through that there, there would be a big impact on teachers. And as both of you know, there was a huge impact on teachers as well that mm -hmm. we didn't even predict. So, so many things are changed and different now. And it's so really awesome to watch it, to see what, you know, see what the team is doing and see what Greg's in the team and see what the athletes like you are doing. Yeah, I mean, so my first year was the the, the pre-Olympic year. So I started in the fall of 2017. So three full seasons now, I'd say, and um, what, or I guess four. But um, yeah, holy cow. <laughs> and even just how much has come along in the last couple of years. I mean, so my first year, uh, just so our listeners know, as, a, as an athlete mentor, um, it was really just checking in with my kids, uh, sending them the videos, and they did have a curriculum they follow. And every, every month I had to record a video and send it in. And, and basically it was a good practice for me now that I've transitioned a little bit into the, the public speaking sector as I had to, you know, put together this five minute video um, that touched on the lesson and then also shared a little update about what we were doing. Um, and then pray to God that I had enough bandwidth on the Wi-Fi from <laughs> yeah. Europe to let it to upload <laughs> to get it to, to get it to my students, um, which was always a little bit of a, a thing. So now we even so now we get to do this in the off season, which is nice for me as a as a winter athlete. In the summer, we get together and we have professional videos recorded uh, teaching the lesson part. So then now, just during the year, I can just send in you know these quick one to two minute videos updating that you don't need all the bandwidth for even though the Wi-Fi in Europe is significantly better um <laughs> still, you still have to share the journey I still share the journey part yes. but yeah yeah and that came from talking that came from athletes like you and mm -hmm. and and also from our team saying we were you know processing 60 70 80 videos in a two-week period and turning around them turning them around and putting in the schools and the quality just wasn't up to what our standards wanted to be because we had to turn it around so quick so mm -hmm. it gave the athletes more breathing room. It gave you guys less onus to have to try to upload 400 megabytes in, a, in you know, in Eagles, Austria. Up mm -hmm. to the <laughs> um, mm -hmm. it, gave our it gave our team a lot more time to actually think it through and actually, you know, put in the talking points for the students and the teachers and, and, and do all that. So, yeah, that, and that's, like you said, just a change that's happened in the last couple of years. And all these things at the end of the day, um, the thing we're most proud of and grace can attest to this is is we, we listen to teachers we listen to athletes and we make it better wash okay. rinse wash rinse repeat um mm -hmm. and yeah. school districts and schools are starting to really take notice of that and, and we're seeing some great results so such the athlete way it's like you know i feel like we have that mindset around the office is that we just always want to be better and get better every single day and um yeah. it's truly incredible even in the 
gosh, two and a half years I've been around, um, how much we've evolved. I want to rewind a little bit um, before Classroom Champions and talk about, I think it's one of my favorite stories about how you got into bobsled and how you went from um, <laughs> field to, you know, being an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Which part, which part of that do you want to dive into? That's another 10 year period. <laughs> okay. So specifically the letter that you sent to um, mm. you're recovering from surgery to that you're interested in bobsled. Tell us about yeah. that. So, um, you know, where, where I come from, there's not a bobsled track three minutes away. You know, you can't see a bobsled track from your house or the ski hills from the house. Uh, I, well, I come from Buffalo, which is plenty cold, but still no bobsled track. Um, but I was going to school at the University of Florida, like Grace had said. And, um, still no bobsled you know, track. Still still no <laughs> bobsled track. Cool runnings, close, bobsled track, no. Um, which, oh, by the way, all of the, any kid I talk to who has seen cool runnings thinks it's so cool that it was filmed five minutes from my house. I still think it's so cool. So right? that's, Me too. That's yeah, that's like basically where I take people in mm -hmm. regular times when they come to Calgary. That's one of the places I take them. I show them the corner that they crash and they take pictures. Um, no, so to get your, to get your question, Grace, which is, you know, the, the letter, and I posted this letter, um, I think fairly recently was, it was basically a Dear John letter that was going to be the, either the end of my sport career or the beginning of the next chapter of my sport career. And I found myself in Gainesville in August of 2000, um, sitting on my couch, lamenting two days outside of Tommy John surgery after Tommy John surgery, which is a miserable, terrible surgery. And I was on some kind of, sorry, I mean, I'm traveling. Yeah, I was, a decathlete. yeah, I was a decathlete in college. So I was a jack of all trades, master of none at the time. And uh, I threw, heard it throwing javelin. And I was sitting on the couch, August of 2000, and just realizing my track career was going to be done. I was national champion in high school. And then I, I looked back and saw five years in a row of injuries. I, I tore my hamstring my senior year in high school after I won the national championship indoors. And then I got to Florida and got healthy. And then it was ankle, 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 and then elbow. And clearly at that point, like you can only run into the wall so many times mm -hmm. until you need to not run smack into the wall. And <laughs> it was time. And as I was sitting on the couch, <clears throat> it sparked in my mind, in the back of my mind, that I had a coach who had a guy who went from track to bobsled. And so I emailed the Olympic Committee. And it is this kind of poorly written not kind of, it is a straight up poorly written, but in my defense, I was on a lot of meds and painkillers at the time. So I barely remember this happening, but I still remember it. It was probably one of, it was probably one of the like five most important days of my life now. Um, and certainly the most trajectory changing um, other than having my daughter, which is a whole different ballgame. And I wrote and I said, hey, I'm this big, I'm this strong, this fast. I found the Olympic Committee address on Yahoo because there was no real Google then. And that was it. Uh, and that was how I got into bobsled. And I got an email back from bobsled the next day. I started training. Um, they said, yes, you're this big, this fast, this strong. Like, sure, you just need to gain weight. You need to do this. Uh, my mom's response was like, go get a job. My nice Jewish mom, go get a job. Um, and I just said, give me one year. I'm going to do this. Um, and next thing I knew, I was making the team. And, you know, for me, it was, it was a really big mindset shift that had to happen. When you go through five years of injuries, like you have to realize it's, it's not, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I had to have one of those, like, I had to have a breakup talk with my old self. Um, mm -hmm. Like, look, you know, you've been great and everything, but we gotta, I gotta make a change. 
and I had to think about things differently. And I went from you know, being an athlete who was hurt for five years in a row to being an Ironman on the bobsled team who went nine seasons in a row, um, didn't miss any races, um, you know, went to three Olympic games, won a world championship for the first time in 50 years for our country, won a, a gold medal, you know, led our team to a gold medal for the first time in 62 years. And I would not have recognized myself from that couch to the 2010 version of me. And in fact, Brian Scheimer, who's five-time Olympian um, and was our, you know, teammate of mine in 02 and was our coach in 2010, he came to a talk I gave in April of 2000, 2010 um, down in Orlando. And I told the story about my injuries and he had no idea because I didn't bring that person with me to bobsled. And, and you know, Riz, especially in bobsled, mm -hmm. you, you know, if you're a push athlete and you're hurt, you're gone. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, you are, or you all it takes is somebody to come push faster mm -hmm. than you when you're down on the sidelines, you're gone. So mm -hmm. it was just such a, an amazing shift that had to happen, which has really opened up for me, like all kinds of, like really the possibilities are endless if you can put yourself in the right position. Okay. Well, not going too deep into this, because I feel like this whole subject, I probably could talk to you about for four hours, but, but what do you think the biggest change you had to make was to become, you know, the person who was injured all the time to the person who learned to take care of yourself and train, you know, smarter, not harder. Um, you know, uh, like I, I was smart in college. I, I did everything right. I did like, you know, I mean, I, I did the things I was supposed to do. I was just as meticulous as I, as I was afterwards. <clears throat> so it wasn't actually about like functionally having to do something different. It was about the way that I approached it. It was about the way that it was, the, it was honestly, and it sounds cheesy, but it was the mindset that I had And the 20 year old in me would not have believed that. So the 20 year olds out there, the 15 year olds out there, like I get being skeptical mm -hmm. that like you can change these things. But I literally had to say to myself that day on the couch, okay, if I'm going to go do this, um, I'm competing against men who are, you know, sacrificing for their families to go live this dream. And I couldn't even do it at University of Florida where I had 15 people whose only job was it, it was for me to succeed. Mm -hmm. And now I don't have those 15 people anymore. How in the world am I going to go do this? So I like literally drew a line in the sand. I said, I'm just not going to get hurt anymore. Change your mindset. Just, just, Amazing that was what it. happens. I was like, I'm not going to get hurt anymore. And yeah. I, I'll never forget the day in Gainesville on the track. And you, you know, you guys both know how many track workouts you've done. Like you can't pot, you know, like, you know, no. you don't even remember the track workout you did four days ago. <laughs> yeah. I remember the track workout I did in October of 2000 when I was back, to, you know, to a RoboCop brace and out of the sling for my elbow surgery, but I was still in that. And I remember doing a sprint workout and sprinting and then going back and doing a 40 meter sprint and feeling my hamstring twinge. And what do you do when your hamstring, when you feel your hamstring twinge, the first thing you do is you stop running. Like you go get treatment or you go mm -hmm. work on it. And I remember like hamstring just twinged a little bit. And I started walking towards the training room. And I remembered it's seven o'clock at night. I'm not on the track team anymore. There's nobody there. There's nobody there to treat me. And I told myself, I'm not going to get hurt anymore. So I just went back and did another sprint. I was like, there's literally, no, I have nothing to lose at this point. My track mm -hmm. career was over. I'm like a hope and a dream of a Florida track athlete to go do bobsled. Um, so I just went back, did another sprint. Hamstring was fine. Went back, did another sprint. Hamstring was fine. Went back, did another sprint. Hamstring was fine. And from that moment forward, I just, you know, and I got hurt plenty of times. Um, but I just had a different mindset of how I was going to approach that. And I had to get out of the crutch that was the training room. I had to get out of the crutch that was 
reacting the way that we're supposed to, the way we're taught mm -hmm. to react. But ultimately, yeah, yeah. if you keep doing something the same way and expect different results, that is the classic definition of insanity. And clearly, mm -hmm. the thing that you're supposed to do wasn't the thing that I was supposed to do. And I just had to accept that. And as soon as I accepted that, my world changed and, um, and my mindset changed and my success levels dramatically, dramatically changed. And, you know, and, and that's what, you know, Grace says about around the office, which is like, we can just, we can just do anything, like just have to figure it out. And that was kind of the, the change that happened in, in me at that point. Yeah, you went from a, and this is just for people listening from a, a bobsled and skeleton perspective, our sports are, are very tough on the body, but we get a lot of track and field athletes in. And, um, you know, a lot of us are trained kind of like track and field athletes, if you, not necessarily, even if you didn't come from track and field background was, you know, you have to protect every little muscle because you always need it to fire perfectly because, you know, hundreds of a second or what counts in our sports. But um, in our sport, you you have to train like that, but you also need the mindset that you have to be tough because, you know, things are going to go wrong. You're running on ice. And and like Steve said, if, if you go down, the next person's going to be waiting to take your spot. So um, that's pretty incredible that 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 mindset worked for you and stayed with it. And I think that's that speaks volumes to you know, those who may be skeptical thinking about it like that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think of it as, um, yeah, also for me, it was like the first time in my life I really realized and really learned that after the biggest bottom comes the big tops. And <laughs> like, that was the first point of my life, right? Like I was, you know, I was going to be graduating from university, you know, good thing, but like my sport career was over and I'd mm -hmm. been hurt for five years and I was a failure by the standards of being a national champion in high school, going and being recruited to University of Florida, which is a top, you know, a top five track team. And, um, you know, one of the most dominant programs in the history of, of college track and field in the U.S. and Division One. that's where you go to be the next great athlete. And I was an abject, object, objectively an absolute failure. Um, and then, which helped because I've hit other plenty of other bottoms from depression to, to not not making you know not meddling into the 2006 games which is really hard when we were it wasn't if we were going to medal it was just what color medal we were going to get in 06 yeah. um, and we walked away with a seventh and that was really hard and that sent me into at the time I didn't know it was depression or uh, mm -hmm. or some kind of something um, it wasn't as bad as like the actual my diag you know clinically diagnosed depression in the in recent history but um but I, but I think the thing that I've taken away from that is like every time I've hit a bottom I bounce back better and stronger. So, you know, it's living, it's, it's trying to live that. And it's trying to like talk to other people about that of, of understanding mm -hmm. like people are down right now. I mean, life is hard. Life is harder now than it's ever been. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, after, after the Spanish flu in, you know, 1918, there was the roaring twenties. So <laughs> hopefully we're going to see that too. Oh God, I hope so. I can't <laughs> wait for the parties that are going to be thrown for that. That's all right. <laughs> Um, Steve, I have one more question about um, kind of how your relation from sport turned into how you were able to run your business. Um, being in a sliding sport as athletes, we rely heavily on sponsorships. And I've seen this from you in action. You're probably the king of this. And um, I know for you, you, you came up to live in Canada because your trainer was up here. Um, for those listening, the Americans often trained in Canada in the summer because of our, in our ice house here in Calgary that we have and utilize. So, 
um, that couldn't have been cheap for you guys. And as you said, you didn't have a job right out of university. Um, and I know the U.S. program isn't any well more funded than our program is. Um, and so talk about how you maybe developed an income from that and then how that translated into how you started raising money for Classroom Champions. Um, I mean, <laughs> developing an income as an athlete was just not a thing. Well, it's not uh, a thing, but <laughs> enough okay. to live. <laughs> no, yeah, um, yeah, I got, I mean, I barely got by. I didn't have much sponsorship when I was an athlete. I was not very good at it as an athlete. I tried. Um, okay. I, I think I, I tried really hard. Um, and I very rarely, I mean, I think maybe going into 2009-ish, um, you know, I got, like we got a couple sponsors going into the Olympics, like we were world champions going into the Olympics. Yeah, you're in so, what they call like a medal hopeful. A medal hopeful, sure. like yeah. you know. So there was a there's a few there, um, but honestly, as an athlete, I was I was bad at it. And I can look back and realize why. Like I I thought I was trying to find value for the for those people or the sponsors or the donors <laughs> or whatever it was, and I think mm -hmm. I was I didn't recognize what the value was, and I didn't ask the questions of what value meant to them. Uh, and I think, you know, you and Iris have talked about that as understanding, like, you know, one of your, one of your sponsors that, you know, came through Classroom Champions was, is like, you know, you, you know, they recognize and you recognize and we recognize that like you were able to do things that were a benefit to them, that mm -hmm. helped them in their communities. And that was the thing they needed. They didn't, they didn't necessarily need a sticker on your sled or a sticker on your helmet. Like that wasn't there. And exactly. I think I spent most of my, my, my bobsled career creating what I thought was value, like again, stickers and TV things and all, all, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And yes, there's better viewership in Europe and all that, but ultimately the people I was pitching for sponsorships, they didn't care about those things. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in today's world, I think those are the things I've learned. And when I help athletes and support athletes now, I, I turn it around very much. So like majority of, majority of companies are struggling to figure out ways to support their communities. Athletes are really, really good at that. Um, marry those two things. Um, so I think from being an athlete and the hard knocks I took, uh, you know, I learned how to do Photoshop. I learned how to do video editing. Like, believe it or not, I was actually the first video editor at Classroom Champions. Um, <laughs> I was the first web developer at Classroom Champions. I was the first social media person at Classroom Champions. Um, thank goodness for everybody on the team and for the organization and for kids and Look how far we've come. <laughs> and for Prime Minister Trudeau two weeks ago, thank goodness I am not the person in charge of those things anymore. Um, but I think now what I see is opportunities for athletes and how I've related that with Classroom Champions is, again, like understanding what the people who have the support, whether that is money, whether that is value in kind, whether that is um, awareness to help you as an athlete or, or, or Classroom Champions or whatever your, whatever your business or company or nonprofit is, is like really asking a lot of questions and you know grace knows this like the thing that i am impressed by the most is people who can ask good questions because if you can ask good questions you can uncover the things that you're like that you need to do but you can do that through through learning from somebody else mm -hmm. i think that's the way that i've been able to bridge that and and i wish i would have known those things mm -hmm. back in the 2000s i think we could have done much better but being an athlete living in calgary there wasn't necessarily a lot of people around here who were dying to support the U.S. bobsled team going to the Vancouver Olympics. Mm -hmm. I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know why that would happen. Tough sell. Tough sell. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. That's good. So when when you guys 
where Costume Championship is now compared to when you just started, when it was just you and your sister, you know, when did it really, when did you have to start hiring people? When did you have to start, you know, bringing in the big guns? When, when did that all kind of transpire? Um, So we were a volunteer organization from the the genesis of it in 2010 until summer of 2013. So there was a good three year period where it was all volunteer. And, you know, Lee and I would work in on the evenings. Um, one of our, uh, Lisa Minarski, a woman who is still on our board to this day. Uh, when you're starting a nonprofit early or business early, quite often your board members are the people who will do the work with you mm-hmm. or for you. So Lisa was one of those people and she was gung-ho. And like for a little, for quite a time, it was Lee, myself and Lisa. And without Lisa Minarski, we would, we, class of champions wouldn't be here today. Um, but it was in May of 2013 that I was consulting here in Calgary and I was doing work downtown. Actually, I was working a lot with a woman named Lee McLean, who is our vice chair at Classroom Champions now of our board. Uh, and Lee is, is a consultant in leadership development. And I had um, been brought in through another person who I also wrangled into Classroom Champions, um, Mark Fitzgerald, who you know. Uh, Mark was one of our founding board members here in Canada, that's CEO over at Petronas Canada. And um, that's how all these people kind of intersect that way um and in may of 2013 i left uh, a consulting workshop that i was running leadership development downtown and i got in my car and i thought that was terrible it was a great day (laughs) the client got everything they wanted and i hated it and i just realized that that was the day that I couldn't do, I was sitting, I remember the parking lot I was sitting in. I don't really remember things very well. I keep saying I remember things, um, but my memory is pretty terrible, except for like really, really like specific things that like whatever's happening in my brain, when like epiphanies happen, I remember where I am. And I remember being in the parking garage on the corner of 9th, uh, 9th Avenue and 8th Street, uh, or on 8th Street, by the Crescent Point building there, across the street, there's a parking lot, and it wasn't Crescent Point I was working with. Um, and being in the parking lot and putting my hands on the steering wheel and going, I'm quitting consulting. I'm going to go do Classroom Champions full-time. And we had no money to pay me. But I went, and I let all my clients know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to take a month, and I'll help transition. But that was the point of which I called my sister that night, and I said, either, either I'm quitting consulting, and I'm going to go do this, I'll figure out the money thing. I didn't have a wife, didn't have a family, didn't have a kid at that point. Um, I could, I was, you know, an athlete three years ago and I could eat ramen noodles. Uh, (laughs) And that was the moment. And I just realized that that's, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing the thing I was doing. And those jobs are great and those things are needed. It just wasn't my cup of tea and it wasn't the thing that got me going. And I wasn't willing to kind of like, I wasn't willing to settle after track and field for not being done being an athlete yet. I wasn't willing in 2013 at, you know, in my thirties, mid early, early thirties to say like, I'm going to do something that doesn't make me happy for the rest of my life. So like I went and, you know, here we are, however many years later, seven, eight Mm -hmm. years later. um, And I'm very happy doing what I do. And I'm very challenged doing what I do. And, you know, I get to work with awesome people like you guys. Amazing. Well, speaking of challenges, how has the pandemic challenged you this year? <laughs> um, you know, we come from a very privileged place for me to say that the pandemic has actually been like a, a like a blessing for our family in that way. Like we I was traveling 
you know, 10 to 15 days a month for mm -hmm. work um, and you and Olympic committee board work and other things, um, which meant that he's also daughter, on the, the American uh, Olympic committee board. So, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was traveling a lot and you know, we have a daughter who's now three and a half and I, dad was gone and that was just what she knew. And, and it, she would, she wasn't, she wasn't herself when I was away. And we realized within like two months, the pandemic starting, she turned into a different child. She went from being shy and not confident to being open. And everybody was her friend, adults and kids and people who'd walk by were her friends. <laughs> and we realized that, oh my God, like my traveling may have had something to do with that. So the fact that I haven't had to get on an airplane for, it's just right around a year right now. She is a completely different child. So ultimately for us, like we've been lucky, our, you know, my in-laws, most people can't say that their in-laws moving in with them is a good thing. I can, <laughs> um, you know, Brett gets to spend every day with grandma uh, mm -hmm. and she's happy and that's what I care about. Um, and classroom champions has been able to thrive. Like, you know, we've been virtual for 10 years and people get this now. They get creating relationships virtually now. So from a classroom champions perspective, we've been able to fill a need that is so desperate for schools across the continent. Um, and from a personal standpoint, um, you know, my family is like 10 times better off because I'm not traveling. So a very, very privileged, not, you know, majority of people in this world aren't as fortunate as we are. Mm -hmm. So I've been, you know, pretty, how about you? <laughs> well, I just want to touch on that. The the, the 10 year, you're right, because like Classroom Champion has always been virtual. So it's kind of set the precedent for this. And then, yeah, I mean, us, you know, Skyping call in from, from Europe like that. We were doing this for years already. So it's kind of yep. just like, yeah, now it's filming the time that they need to do, <laughs> even though we I was doing it at 10 p.m. Yeah, we, we yeah. didn't have to change anything. In fact, again, yeah. now schools are more interested and they're more, they, they're more open-minded to it and they're more yeah. open-minded to a digital curriculum which we've been for a long time now um, a lot of a lot of curriculums out there you know curricula will send textbooks and they will send huge teacher guides and they'll send all these physical you know thousands of pieces of paper um, mm -hmm. we've never done that anyway so and we were in a very fortunate position where we had actually our strategic plan had actually put us in a place to, to launch a new platform which you know, the tech has had some bugs here and there but we were in a place where um, you know, we were able to fill this like huge need at the right time. We were at the right place at the right time. Um, and we've gone from, you know, the last few years supporting eight to 10,000 kids within our programming to, you know, we've had over 60,000 kids pass through Classroom Champions programs this year, uh, let alone the work that we, you know, we're doing with the NHL and having, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau on two and a half weeks ago to, um, you know, a lot of other just really amazing things that Grace and the team have been doing to just help schools get through, help schools, help mm -hmm. parents, help teachers get through help this the ridiculousness. Teachers, for sure. yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, just to touch on our pandemic, how it's affected us. Grace is currently coming to you from quarantine in a hotel. I'm coming mm -hmm. from federal quarantine in my house, my one-bedroom apartment, but um and then i get out for three days and then i have to re-enter isolation for six days before i can rejoin my my training group in whistler so if you want to know about pulling hair out so, that's what you're, I'm so what you're saying it's less you're less 
fortunate than I'm not thriving. I am not thriving. Um, <laughs> very grateful for the opportunity that we still got to compete mm -hmm. this year, but thriving is not the word for it. <laughs> there are two types of people, and Alicia and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Before mm -hmm. you're on, Steve, I said, How how is quarantine going? And she's losing her mind a little bit. And I'm like, is it weird? I kind of like quarantine because I'm an introvert. So I'm like that's the difference. Yeah. I, yeah. I am a raging extrovert. Clearly, of those your listeners, all the listeners out there, you know this by now. Um, and yes. uh, I have been luckily again, that's I think having the in-laws here has actually helped because there's more than just my wife and I. We probably would have had a harder time. Let's mm -hmm. leave it there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And nice to break it up. You can talk to different people on different talk days. It different helps. People. Luckily, yeah. Brad, a three and a half year old is pretty, her language is pretty solid. So you can have a conversation with her now. Yeah. Baby V is just keeping everybody I can talk about Paw Patrol and <laughs> Robocar Poli with her all day long. All day. Perfect. Well, the one thing I know, Steve, I'm missing the most is all your classroom champions events. So that's mm. probably the things that I look forward to. And this time of year, there's usually a secret concert coming up. Um, April, well, is it April that we usually uh, have to take luncheon? Chats are, Champion yeah, chat. Luncheon, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I know that's the thing that I'm definitely looking forward to the most once COVID's all over and we can get back to doing those events and yeah, uh, seeing everyone and, and having some fun and raising some money for their, for the kids. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. me too. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve. Well, we've grilled you for <laughs> for far too long, but we really want to thank you for, for joining us and you know, for our listeners too, really, we've we've mentioned Costume Champions a few times in the past episodes, but now they really get a deep dive into what we do, um, which I think we want more Calgarians, more Albertans, more Canadians, more North Americans to know about our program, um, because it truly is, It I see the impact every day it has on kids, and I'm so lucky to be able to be a part of the team, so thanks for, um, thanks for having me on board as well. <laughs> You've been amazing, Grace, and I like and, and to have you here with us full time now is we're so fortunate. So, if this isn't brown nosing, I don't know what is. But <laughs> I, I know I am. I'm I, I'm a little too complimentary of her. I know I get it. I will back, I will back it down. Um, I will back down how how much I'm brown nosing on Grace right now. So, <laughs> Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for for coming on. I'm glad that we finally got you on, and and uh, thank you for sharing all your stories with us. Well, I'm sure the listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for doing this, and it's been great to listen to all the other stories that you guys have been putting on too. So, last plug: mm -hmm. where can you find yes. classroom champions. Uh, folks can go to classroomchampions.org or follow us on Twitter at classroomchamps. And yeah, I mean, to your point, Grace, I'll throw in the plug for Calgary too. We're a Calgary-based international um, charity. There are not really any other many, and, and I'll, I'll overstep my bounds here. There are really not many other international nonprofits or charities that are based in Calgary. They're based in Toronto. They are based in Vancouver. They're not based in Calgary. Uh, you know, that's something that I want Calgarians to be proud of. We use the Olympic movement. We use sport. We use in the NHL. We use the NFL. We use, we have sport to help, you know, demonstrably measurably impact and, and support education. And we have folks like the Workland Foundation uh, and, you know, individuals like Craig Senek and companies like Moore and companies like Crescent Point and Petronas and, and Plains. And I can go on and on and Shaw and amazing companies who, who support that are Calgary-based companies. And, you know, we want more Calgarians. Like, to your guys' point, we want more Calgarians. Only a small fraction of our work is done here in Calgary. Um, you know, a slightly larger fraction is done across the province of Alberta. 
um, you know, a, a much larger fraction is done across Canada um, and then the U.S. So, but we want Canadian-based and Calgary-based companies to understand that they can have an impact here in Calgary, here in Alberta, but also across the country and if they choose across the world. So, you know, those Calgary companies, we want them, to, we want and we need them to step up right now. Again, we're not Toronto. Uh, this, you know, we don't have that base like we do in Toronto. We don't have that base like we do in Vancouver. But boy, oh boy, do we have some pretty awesome people and companies here. So. Thank you, everybody, for the support. And yeah, thank you guys for doing this. Thank you very much. Oh, you heard, I actually think I should probably send my video to my kids now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not here to police you on that one, but mm. you know, since you said it, I'll, I'll make sure I'll pass it on okay. to him. It's coming in. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, bye, everyone. We'll see you bye, next guys. time. Thank you for tuning in to the Face First podcast. On all Calgary Flames games days, home and away, you can participate in the Calgary Flames Foundation 50-50 draws online. Go to www.calgaryflames.com slash 50-50 to purchase your raffle tickets and watch the jackpot grow every Flames game day. Tickets are available from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Funds are directed to Southern Alberta charities, including the Calgary Flames Sports Bank, and Flames Even Strength Program. Let's get into the game and support the Calgary Flames Foundation. Chance to win big. And the winner could be you. Must be over 18 and in Alberta to purchase. License number 570062.